Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Reconomy Podcast, where we discuss economic issues that impact real estate, housing, and affordability. I'm Odetta Kushi, Deputy Chief Economist at First American, and here with me is Mark Fleming, Chief Economist at First American. Hi, Mark. You know, the housing industry has an important date coming up. Hi, Odetta. That's right. The end of this month, July 31st, uh, there's uh, going to be a change uh, with the end of the federal bans and evictions and foreclosures, unless they push it further out. But as we stand right now recording this episode, um, July 31st, the end of the bans and evictions and foreclosures for those who have federally backed mortgages, but that's most everybody anyway. Absolutely. And in today's episode, we'll focus on what the end of that moratorium means for the likelihood of a foreclosure tsunami. So we're not going to get into the policy details of the the ban on eviction and foreclosure moratoriums. But if you are interested, there's a lot of information out there. I really want to get into the economics of it all, because I recently read that the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities estimates that there's more than 10 million renters that are behind on their payments. That was a figure as of late May, while there was only about 2 million homeowners that were in forbearance plans as of the most recent MBA report reflecting the end of June. So that's a pretty big difference between renter and owner distress. What's going on there? That's right, especially when you consider the fact that roughly two-thirds of all American households are homeowners, only one-third are renters, yet the numbers that you just uh, uh, mentioned suggest that, you know, five times as many renters than homeowners are having issues because of the pandemic with making their either mortgage or rent payments. So very, very big differences there. And that really comes from the fact of who's at risk of being unemployed. Uh, This is not new. This is not pandemic related. But the data that we look at in terms of unemployment rates when we break out um, unemployment for those who are renting versus homeowning shows some stark differences. And renters always tend to have a higher likelihood of being unemployed. In fact, since 2000, the gap between the unemployment rate on average between renters and homeowners is about 4.4 percentage points. That's that's significant when the overall unemployment rates are five or six percent. And that gap actually widened after the global financial crisis um, to about 6%. So homeowners always tend to have less risk of unemployment than renters do. And somehow, is that some miracle of homeownership that protects you from being unemployed? Yeah, that would, that would be news to me, but I don't think that's it. <laughs> No, of course not. There's not this magic bullet of being a homeowner. But being a homeowner is correlated highly with being older, being more educated, having higher income. And those are exactly the same kinds of things that um, prevent you from being unemployed or give you a lesser likelihood of being unemployed in time of economic distress. Add to that the fact that obviously this time around the pandemic is particularly difficult for renters for renters because of the types of industries that were most hard hit and we get these big gaps and likely bigger gaps when we get the data in a, in, a, in another few months for for 2020 that gap is i think going to be even larger than we saw it before 
I think you're absolutely right. And, and to your point, you know, leisure, hospitality, those those kinds of industries were hurt the most during this economic decline. And so surely it must have exacerbated the divide between renter and owner um, unemployment rates. We actually do see this in higher frequency census pulse survey data over the course of the pandemic. The owner renter unemployment rate gap peaked at just over 7% in May of last year, but has since come down as the labor market started to, impl- to improve. So needless to say, this pandemic recession disproportionately hurt renters. But that does not mean that homeowners were left unscathed. In At the peak in June of 2020, approximately 4.3 million homeowners were in forbearance plans. As we mentioned before, this number has come down to about 2 million and will likely continue to fall as the labor market continues to improve. But there are still some concerns about the expiration of emergency protections and whether it will unleash a flood of foreclosures similar to that of the Great Recession. And so to answer this question, we did what we do best. We tried to answer the question empirically. But before we get to the empirical analysis, uh, (laughs) we have to address the fact that, you know, is there a risk of a foreclosure tsunami? And the implicit statement there, like the one we saw after the global financial crisis, and hey, this time it's different. So now everybody's going to ignore us, right, when you say that. But this time really is different. And we really have to understand the dynamics of how one ends up in the unfortunate position of foreclosure. And it's a two-part process, what we call the dual trigger process. One first and foremost has to have some sort of an event that causes them to have an inability to make their mortgage payment. You know, death, serious illness, divorce, loss of job through unemployment. These are the traditional things that cause someone to become seriously delinquent. And of course, in COVID, the risk goes of everyone getting the forbearance programs was either they were unemployed or they thought there was a risk of them becoming unemployed. So getting the forbearance program was really about this issue of, I fear my inability to make my mortgage payment. That's trigger number one, necessary but not sufficient for foreclosure. Trigger number two is having equity, or shall we say, lack of equity. Because if you become seriously delinquent and you have equity in your home, then we sit down, we talk to the servicer, and you go and sell the house, maybe an involuntary sale, but you sell the house because I'd rather take my equity with me than give it to the bank. And so that idea of having equity it prevents that serious delinquency from turning into a foreclosure. Now, house prices went down in the global financial crisis, and so you have higher risk of negative equity with rising serious delinquency because of unemployment and the, and the economic recession. These dual triggers came together, and we got the foreclosure tsunami. So why is it different this time? Well, homeowners are sitting on the highest amounts of equity they ever had. Hardly anyone is in a negative equity position. And oh, by the way, earlier this week, we just found out that house prices were appreciating on a year-over-year basis at the highest level historically recorded, according to one Yes. So dual trigger number one, distress of inability to pay, clearly an issue. But dual trigger number two, I don't see it. Yeah, there is a significant equity buffer, and obviously all real estate is local, but what we're seeing is, again, 
homeowners today have the significant equity buffer. That fantastic explanation. Let's get into the model and the numbers, because let's just say that the homeowner is seriously delinquent. And in this case, we're defining that as a borrower not making payments on their mortgage in the last 90 days. Not every serious delinquency will go into foreclosure because of the reason you just mentioned. So we decided to study the share of homeowners that transition from that serious delinquency to foreclosure using the transition rate. And the transition rate is just the ratio of foreclosure initiations in one quarter relative to the number of seriously delinquent mortgages in the preceding quarter. And just to provide a little bit more context, the share of homeowners who transition from serious delinquency to foreclosure was about 22% from the end of the Great Recession until the end of 2019. Now, in the third quarter of 2020, that transition rate fell to less than 1%, and that was really due to the emergency protections. As Mark mentioned, our theory is that borrowers who have little to no equity are more likely to transition from serious delinquency to foreclosure. However, positive house price appreciation, as we've seen, increases home equity and helps prevent foreclosure. And indeed, our analysis shows that in the post-Great Recession period, a one percentage point increase in annual house price appreciation results in a more than 0.3 percentage point decline in the transition rate, or 6,700 fewer foreclosures when all other factors remain unchanged. A lot of numbers there, but the general gist, equity prevents foreclosure. Phew. Yeah, so our empirical analysis proved our theory, although I, I kind of laugh at using the term theory that borrowers have, who have little to no equity are more likely to transition right. from serious delinquency to foreclosure. It would be crazy. Right. Now, let's use the economics terms. It would be irrational Rational. for that seriously delinquent homeowner sitting on lots of lots of equity to say, yeah, you know, bank, you have it instead. It just, right. it doesn't make any sense. And you know this is important because, as we as we noted, we saw the big transition rates from serious delinquency to foreclosure after the global financial crisis because house prices were declining. House prices were declining at a pace of 11 percent in 2009 on a year-over-year -year basis, and so large amounts of negative equity were driving up all these foreclosures. If we simply flipped it around and said, "Hey," What if house prices were going up by 11% instead of that 2009 decline of 11% rate? Well, that would reduce foreclosure starts by about a third or more, just that one fact alone. And hey, guess what? House prices are going up even faster than 11%, and they've been going up pretty quickly for a number of years to the tune of tr over a trillion dollars of home equity amongst all these homeowners. So. It's that equity condition that's going to make things different this time. Right. And, and to make this a little bit more forward looking, obviously forecasting is a highly uncertain business, but with the severe supply demand imbalance that we're seeing in the housing market, we can we expect house price appreciation to remain positive, which means more equity building in the market. And so, again, with enough equity, a homeowner has the option of selling the home. Now, I just want to mention one more thing, which is that this involuntary selling, so the idea that you might need to sell your home instead of foreclose, is not an ideal solution. It's not necessarily what you want, but it is you know, better than, than a foreclosure, as we've mentioned. So just to wrap up our conversation today, 
The foreclosure and eviction moratoriums are set to expire at the end of July as of this conversation. And the reason renters have been disproportionately hurt compared to homeowners during this COVID crisis is because this was a services-driven recession, hurting younger, lower-wage renters. The end of the foreclosure moratorium is not likely to cause a foreclosure tsunami because if distressed homeowners are required to resolve delinquency, given their equity buffers, involuntary sales are much more likely than foreclosures. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Reconomy podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can also sign up for our blog at firstam.com slash economics. And if you can't wait for the next episode, follow us on Twitter. It's at Odetta Kushi for me and at M Fleming Econ for Mark. Until next time. This episode is copyright 2021 by First American Financial Corporation. All rights reserved. For more information, visit us at firstam.com.